Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. Um, lots of stuff coming up today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our Facebook group is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. And in there, uh, you can ask questions. We have discussions going on. And we have a lot of great uh, people in our group who offer a lot of really good advice. And we'd like to hear what everybody else is using out there for products. Today, we're going to talk about some probiotics. People asking for advice about, you know, wet foods or dry foods and which one is better, that kind of thing. And um, our listeners have come up with a couple of really great solutions for uh, somebody trying to pill their dog and trying to get their dog to you know, take their medicine and stuff. So um, that's pretty cool. So we're going to talk to them about that. And if you want to get in touch with us, all you have to do is just uh, give us a shout on Facebook and we'll let you in the group and then you can ask away and we'll answer here today. So um, some of our answers today are Kathy, um, who was, she had some questions about the foods, you know, this food versus that food and what probiotic food she's giving and that kind of thing. Um, we also have Nikki and Beans. Beans has been fighting uh, a yeast infection on his skin, but now something weird is popping up. So she has some questions about that. It's really hard for her to get into her canine dermatologist uh, for this because, you know, of COVID. So, um, you know, a lot of people in clinics still running at, you know, reduced rates or, you know, restricting access into the building and that kind of things. We aren't doing that here. We just let people come in because our staff wanted it that way and, um, you know, it's pretty cold here, so they have to keep running outside and they right. feel their COVID exposure is probably greater by getting into people's cars and taking their animals from them than it is to just go ahead and let people come in. Plus, it's just better for our relationship, I think. Um, yeah, they want to come in. They want to see us. Under, yeah. yeah. And, and they, they want to be with their animal and I don't blame them, yeah. you know. And, you know, as, as some of them said, it's sort of like dropping your kid off at a pediatrician's office <laughs> right. and not going in with them. It was, yeah. It's weird, you know. So, um, yeah, so it feels weird because, you know, pets are part of the family. So we mm -hmm. all know that. And that's awesome news. Okay. So, um, Sam Keeling is asking a question about her Staffordshire Bull Terrier. And um, we also are going to talk about freeze dried versus fresh and frozen raw pet foods. And what's your risk? Um, there's actually more of a risk than I even knew uh, when it comes to those really heavy um, organisms. So salmonella, uh, listeria, those don't all go away. So we're going to talk about that. And that's from the Worms and Germs blog. It's very interesting if you ever get a chance to read that. <laughs> it's a great resource. And uh, actually, Worms and Germs shows up a couple of times in this podcast. So you can see what we're doing in our off time. <laughs> Handling Worms and Germs. Okay. So 60% of veterinarians anticipate more overweight pets after the holiday season. This is all due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It has significantly impacted everyday life for everyone this year. It's um, one of the reasons we opened an indoor dog park um, because part of our holistic program here is pets need exercise. They do. Exercise is probably the most important because 
the brain has to receive sensory data in order to send messages back to the feet and the legs to move. And so it's been shown that the without exercise, you get an increased number of sympathetic nerve impulses, which create excitement and nervousness. But just like for us, if we exercise, we're much more calm, same way with dogs. It also helps to break up some of the, the pain receptors uh, by getting the uh, transmission and blood flow moving to get those pain receptors uh, blocked. Mm. So natural pain relief is also important with exercise. And also just a, if the joint stays immobile, it can develop adhesions that are temporary, but with range of motion, they break those up, especially for older pets. So I know it's cold outside and the older pets, just like older people, don't want to get outside in the cold, but they should move around. They should have some good exercise. Hence the indoor dog park, you can have a controlled climate and get that range of motion going, mm -hmm. um, you know, with a nice climate. We were Not featured this week in the Northwest Herald. So we wanted to thank them for that. And the feature was, you know, about the indoor dog park. And um, one of the regular people who comes here, Melissa said, her dog really gets its steps in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it right. comes here. It's like a Fitbit. Yeah. And so playtime is very valuable for animals for that reason, but also for the steps because they could get so many more steps in if they're playing with other dogs or running and chasing and, right. you know, doing what dogs do. So that's extremely valuable. And you don't have to feel like you have to walk, you know, 20 miles to get your pet to settle in, especially when it's super cold outside and icy. Right. And I can see why, because it, you know, being cold and then we don't want to be outside that long. And then the, uh, that also restricts the pets, but the slipping and sliding is not good. And I've seen the a lot of the lab work coming back has had an increase in creatinine kinase, which is a muscle enzyme. And I have to believe that with the increase that we're seeing a lot more of that, the evidence of slipping and, and falling possibilities there. What is creatinine kinase? What is that? Well, it's a muscle enzyme. And so um, when the muscle breaks down, it releases the creatinine kinase. It's allowed to have a certain amount in the blood. But when we see increases, it suggests that Either A, we have exertional myopathy where they exert the muscle and cause the muscle breakdown, just like mm -hmm. weightlifting, uh, or they could have a muscle inflammation. And, you know, because I saw an increase, I don't see the muscle inflammation because the dogs aren't sore. They're not coming in uh, uncomfortable or muscle atrophy, but at the same time and seeing those levels go up. So it, it, it makes me think that with the increased amount of ice that maybe they're mm -hmm. slipping and sliding or exerting the muscles more. So having a climate controlled location or, you know, maybe you've got a bigger basement where you can play fetch, um, you know, anything you can find to do at home or, you know, if you have an indoor dog park near you, that's always super helpful as mm -hmm. well. Um, the uh, study from um, Hills Pet Nutrition is says, and, and we're getting this off of petfoodindustry.com, but mm -hmm. Hills Pet Nutrition says According to veterinarians, more than 71% of pet professionals say the pandemic has impacted the way pets eat. Overweight pets, um, since the start of COVID, one-third of pet owners say an overweight pet became overweight during the pandemic. And while a majority of pet parents say they would feel confident knowing their pet is overweight without professional guidance, veterinarians say that only 12% of pet parents proactively flag concerns with their pet's weight. Moreover, in two or three veterinarians, two and three veterinarians say that pet parents act surprised or defensive upon learning about their pet's weight issues. 
it's like sort of that um, I can say I'm, I can say I'm fat, but you can't say I'm fat. Right. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so they, yeah, because it is a it's sensitive subject, and and for the most part, um, if you uh, you know take the average uh, pet owner and ask them if their pet is of normal weight, most of the time they would say yes, uh, even though if we do a body condition score, that they could be slightly overweight. And um, but it's a sore subject, you know. If you bring it up and say your pet's overweight, a lot of times they'll be not every time, but sometimes they become defensive. They don't think that because they think of, um, of fat and healthy, right? Right. Well, not necessarily. Um, really, I think it's, you know, it, it can maybe be seen as like a personal insult, you know, it's like, right. no, that's like, you're calling my kid, you know, chubby or whatever. That's my bad parenting or, right. you know, or it's just insulting or, you know, something like that. But, it is something everybody does have to think about. So, you know, the holiday season obviously meant more pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, managing their weight is harder. You can't get out of the house. You can't go to a park. You can't really do anything. So um, a lot of people are still on lockdowns. Um, it's just not healthy for everybody. I actually posted because we started a um, dog training class, a puppy training class on um, Tuesday. And I posted, you know, these pandemic puppies need to be socialized. And people are like, what do you mean pandemic puppies? And it's like, well, there's been a huge amount of people getting dogs and cats during it, puppies and kittens. But without those opportunities to socialize, especially a dog, and without like people coming in the house and just doing all the normal things you would normally do. Hey, I'm going to go, you know, take the dog for a walk or whatever, you know, Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe take him to a fair or you know, expose them to different kinds of things that just aren't happening now, you're going to have a lot of wild dogs. Right. Because they don't have to, they learn how to be social at home, but they don't know how to be social in public. And there's two different personalities because, uh, you know, a person when they're around friends and they casual conversation, they act much differently than maybe they would do in public. The conversation is much different. It's the same way of dogs too, because they, uh, when they're out in public, they have certain instincts. And I've always talked about the five elements or the general personalities. If you have a, a wood dog personality is more competitive, uh, but maybe generally loving at home, like the owner's hand and face jump in their lap, but a com- more competitive dog is, is more conservative uh, out in public. Uh, our fire friendly dogs like Benjo, um, it doesn't really matter the situation because he's totally happy with with anything going on they want to be the life of the party uh those earth dogs are more relaxed and laid back you know Mm -hmm. and they're kind of like the fire friendly dogs they're they're really laid back in all situations probably Mm -hmm. the most adaptable personality uh the final two the metal personalities your cattle dogs are going to be more conservative uh in public and then your water dogs like the most commonly the little chihuahuas are more fearful in public and maybe totally fine at home but Mm -hmm. but that's a great way to test that with other dogs in a small environment um in which they can get used to that and um, it really helps to round out your pet you know Mm -hmm. if they have uh, that way you feel comfortable in taking them out in all situations Mm -hmm. uh it says here too that surprisingly the majority of pet owners half think it's easy to help their dogs or cats lose weight, but veterinarians disagree with 91% saying it's harder than owners think. However, those with overweight pets 
and overweight cats feel it's harder to help those pets lose weight compared to before COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. And 49% of vets agree it's definitely harder to do right now. So changing behaviors and laying off the snacks, I think is one of the big things. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, I don't know about anybody else, but like our dogs, you know, we had to cook a lot more at home, mm-hmm. you know? So if anything gets left out, the dogs and the cats are going after it at every opportunity. So right. they're always like getting into things, loaves of bread or somebody left out the cheese and it's gone and you know, that kind of thing. And the cats, um, they're, they're into it with each other. They're collaborating. They are. The cats knock it off. They're like a little gang. You yeah. Know? And then the dogs eat it. <laughs> Like all the time. So, <laughs> but that's a great point because um, someone snatched a chicken breast off the counter yesterday yeah. after I'd gotten done with them. They turned my back and bam. They love that fresh food. And, mm-hmm. but it's you, the cats you, actually surprisingly love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You brought up a great point about, um, you know, sometimes that with the spay and neutering process, we have to remember that also can be an effect because. Once the pets are spayed and neutered, the hormones like testosterone or estrogen uh, help to regulate the satiety center um, because they can utilize the energy much better. So once they're spayed or neutered, they don't have that. So they can become more food addicted. Um, It also, they don't have the repartitioning hormones that they once had to go to muscle, they'll go more to storage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then plus the low exercise, plus the the possibility of hormone fluctuations uh, can really make an impact. And that's why it's so hard to get them to lose weight once they put it on because of all those other factors. Okay. So, uh, you know, do your best. I know it's really hard right now. It's just one of those things. Um, But, you know, one thing you don't want to do is start starving your dog and you don't want to start a big exercise program because that's always like, Injury number one, mm-hmm. and um, starving doesn't do anybody any good. No, because you get the the relapse factor afterwards. So once you you want to like we had a cat one time that we adopted. Remember, he was that big. He was named Fat Henry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> his um, he was just such a big cat, and you know once we started to lay off of his food and just feed him a normal diet, he did not do well. No, because it, his body was used to being that way, and to to try to retrain it, um, you know, takes a lot of time, and um, and sometimes it's a permanent condition because he was he was a classically um, medically obese cat, mm-hmm. and there's very few medically obese animals where, and just like people, there's very few medically obese people, uh, in which um, it's a true disorder you know, that causes the massive weight gains. Cause he weighed, what was he? 32 pounds or something like he that. Was huge. Yeah. He was huge. And it was just like rolling, you know, mm-hmm. like rolling lard basically on his poor little pot. Right. <laughs> he and, was a good cat. <laughs> and, and most cats, you, you would, if you gave them all free feed, they wouldn't gain that weight to that level. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd yeah. actually had a, a problem, but but going down too fast is not also a no, idea. that's not a good idea. Slow and steady, I think wins there. Yeah. So um, in COVID-19, this is a little bit weird, but there is a company in New York. This is from Business Insider that is making pet masks. They're selling them for $25 and it's been a real boom to their business. So they um, are selling them as with the same filtration that humans have and the kind is recommended. And these first came out as a solution for pollution. So um, the pollution, dust, smoke, 
wildfires um, that's kind of inspired uh, this company to keep going with this. And then COVID-19, they said, we can't 100% guarantee that it will protect your pet. And all we can say is the filters were designed using the exact recommendation the CDC suggests for humans to wear to protect against bacteria, said the founder of Canine Mask. So, you know, the CDC, the AVMA are all saying that, you know, your your dog, I mean, I suppose it could get COVID. Um, it could carry COVID. It's not really that symptomatic and it's not going to give it to you. Right. The, the, the number of COVID dogs has been extremely low, maybe some exposure, uh, but they are not ones to actually uh, get terribly sick from it. And they actually can't spread it back to humans or to themselves, you know, dog to dog is is, and spread is not available as well. So probably more as, a, as it started out, you know, as a novelty, um, you know, has become more of a boom because of the perception that the, if we're going to protect ourselves with masks, we should protect our pets uh, from that as well. Uh, but we do have to be careful because they can't regulate us, uh, their breathing as well as we can. So, um, you know, especially short-faced breeds like your French bulldog, for mm -hmm. example, um, they have trouble breathing anyway. And to put a mask on their face would be a lot, you know, yeah, that can would be, be very dangerous. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I have a lot of trouble breathing through the KN95. We ordered a bunch of those uh, for our staff while we could still get them. And sometimes those are even really hard to breathe through as a human. I can't right. imagine as a dog trying to exert yourself and pant and have that mask on. Yeah, especially the- But I could see it if it's, you know, a wildfire and you wanna mm -hmm. protect their airway. Um, if there's a lot of dust, a lot of smokes and pollution, that's pretty bad. Otherwise, I'm not so sure about the canine mask. I mean, yeah. for, for my dogs, I would say no, but I could see why someone would do it. I mean, you know, just be careful with those. Those are- right. Use your best judgment on it's those. A, it's an interesting concept though. I, yeah. can, I can see it. All right, so um, the SARS, COV2 virus is mutating. Um, some of the variants are causing more concern among health officials than others. It looks like there's just some different uh, strains going on, but nothing at this point that anybody really has too big of a concern about, especially uh, along its in impact of animals as well. If you'd like to read up on that, um, the Worms and Germs blog, again, has more information about these mutations. At this point, I think they're saying, you know, as far as animals are concerned, the mutated variants of the virus are really just not going to make any more of an impact than what we're dealing with already. Right. Not so far as... Yeah. And I think they've been in Europe too. So yeah. um, they're not uh, so, so much yet uh, in the United States. So um, moving on today, we have some listener questions. Okay. Oh, wait, I actually had one more thing from the Worms and Germs blog I want to tell you about. Okay. So you know how you can go into like any pet store now and you'll see all these like freeze dried products and you'll see fresh raw frozen food, you'll see um, just all kinds of variants to what's going on with um, pet food. So the deal is um, the freeze dried versus fresh versus frozen raw pet foods could still carry um, some pretty serious bacteria in them. So we sell those and it kind of hadn't really occurred to me on the freeze dried that this could happen. But just because the 
you've put something in the freezer and I see a lot of people online like discussing this saying, oh no, freezing kills the virus. But according to the Worms and Germs blog, it absolutely doesn't. Mm -hmm. It might kill a lesser virus. So in this case, um, this owner or this, uh, uh, the Worms and Germs blogger is Scott Wheezy. And he says that um, Campylobacter, which is not, you know, quite as heavy uh, how do I put it? Heavy um, bacteria mm-hmm. when it comes to like where Salmonella, E. coli, and Listeria would be so much more likely to survive freezing. Yeah. Campylobacter won't. So I, don't, I think I'm kind of butchering this here, but freezing or freeze drying is pretty hospitable process and state for most bacteria. That's mm-hmm. what he says. So some such as Campylobacter don't tolerate freezing or especially fresh thaw cycles as well as others. So freezing or freeze drying might have some impact on bugs that are just kind of like lesser. Mm-hmm. For the higher profile pathogens like Salmonella, E. coli and Listeria, it probably doesn't have much of an effect. So freezing is not going to get rid of that. So I've just seen a lot of people saying, you know, they're I mean relying on freezing to get rid of certain bugs or certain germs. And they don't understand that that isn't actually the case. Yeah. It has to, it's more for food preservation, but if you, if you take spoiled meat and freeze it, it's not going to be fresh when you bring it out of the freezer. It's still, it's, it's frozen in the state that it was in at the time of freezing. Okay. And those pathogens are probably still there. Pathogens are probably still there. So, most food is, is, you know, very low bacteria, not going to cause a problem, but um, in most dogs, well, really all dogs for that matter, have the capability of eating spoiled foods because their gut was primitively designed to do that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have a major, Im- necessarily a major impact on them, but it's more food safety for us in the handling of that food, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, you know, once you thaw it out and start handling it um, and, and then putting it into a bowl and stuff like that, you know, you're going to get contamination on the counter, you're getting contamination in the bowl. Uh, so proper cleaning and handling, maybe wearing gloves to make sure that you don't get it on your hands. Uh, but also the flip side, once it's passed through the system, a lot of that bacteria is still pretty live in the, in the waste. Oh. So um, if it did cause, you know, um, a maldigestion, malabsorption, then if they had diarrhea, you get a lot of large amount of organism uh, coming out at one time. Mm-hmm. But it's you not know. necessarily that organism that would cause the diarrhea. Not necessarily. Um, but it's, it's more for dogs. It's the, I guess the food change or the differences in the proteins and mm-hmm. also the differences in the preservation, you know, how fresh was it is whether their gut can uh, digest that properly uh, but it's never um, necessarily a food poisoning like it would be for us. We're, we're more worried about food poisoning for us in the in the handling of that meat. Well, it's just so easy to reach into a package of freeze-dried treats mm-hmm. and not really think about it because your hand doesn't get messy. You just think, hey, hey, here's some, you know, food or something right. and give it to them. And, you know, you just don't even think about it. Right. And it's probably a little less so when it's still dry. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but if you start to moisten that down and get moisture in there, you're going to start to liven up things a little bit as well. Oh, really? The story, he says, um, is quite different for some parasites. Many parasites and parasite eggs don't tolerate freezing. That's why fish for sushi is typically frozen at some point before it's served. Mm -hmm. Some are harder than uh, hardier than others, though. Toxoplasma, a potentially important foodborne parasite, is susceptible to freezing, but only if the temperature is low enough and the time is long enough so 12 degrees celsius below Mm. uh, for three days will kill toxoplasma cysts i mean you really have to give a good handle around your freezer and understand what was going on there yeah Uh, to put that into context context typical household freezers run about 20 degrees below celsius so um I don't know. This is just a lot uh, for anybody to really remember. You'd have to really take precautions when it comes to something like that. Yeah, just basic common sense, you know. And toxoplasma um, has so many side effects from, I believe they said, mental illness in humans, um, all the way to compromising pregnancy. Right, for sure. Mm -hmm. So definitely something to be very concerned about. I see a lot of people out there trying to promote a biologically appropriate diet, and they're feeding all kinds of things that are frozen or have been frozen and and thawed out. And I just hope you're being super careful about that because you just don't know what's in it. And any of us raw feeders would, you know, be in the same way. Yeah, really, because it can make a major impact and. In, um, in not only your own life, but your pet's life. And above all, you want to make them healthy and happy. And, uh, you know, you don't want to make them sick or even yourself sick. Yeah. So um, Scott writes in the Worms and Germs blog, the take-home message is that for of the, mo- of the microbes that we're worried about with raw meat, freezing or freeze-drying is not a food safety practice. It's food preservation, not bacterial control. So... It, I don't know. It's kind of easy to get those two things confused and you think, well, the freezer's going to kill it. But you wouldn't put rotten meat back in the freezer and think you were going to serve it for dinner the next day. Right. It doesn't work like that. So it's definitely something you kind of want to look at, think about a little bit, especially if you're looking into those raw diets, biologically appropriate is what they're calling it now. Um, and just several other options. Plus there's a lot of cleaning that needs to be done in your home. Mm -hmm. Your dog licks its paws. It licks, you know, its body, chews on stuff, um, walks around the house after something like that. And, you know, it's not necessarily safe. Right. And did you think about it? Is that, you know, it takes a lot of responsibility to, to prepare fresh food like that. And that's why a lot of owners say, well, I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the mess. I don't want to deal with the handling. I mm-hmm. just like the dry foods and, and I can understand why, because it, you do have to be a more responsible pet owner when you're feeding fresh. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a lot of work. It is. You know, I mean, there's a payoff to it. Right. There's a, a the, lovely payoff. It, right. It, you get a much healthier pet, but healthier, you know, um, their coats, I think, look amazing after that. Yeah. We had a dog named Doppler, and he was, when I did weather, um, I had my little Doppler radar dog, and mm-hmm. he was the most Brillo pad looking, wiry haired little dog. <laughs> and when he started eating raw and he started eating a supplement that you made up for him, which we we're going to put in production soon, um, when you did that, his hair turned into like this soft, beautiful. <laughs> I've never been so surprised in my life. This dog was weird looking. Like people would come up to you in the street and be like, what is that? Is that, is it a dog? Is it like, what is it? Like, cause he was very strange looking. 
his little teeth stuck out the bottom and he was just, he was just a mix, but um, a funny dog. So I'll post a picture of Doppler sometime on our yeah, we should. holistic vet advice page with <laughs> Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Very famous. Yeah. He was, a, he was always a very well-liked dog yeah. and he got around. He was a runner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he always found somebody, he always found somebody very pretty to bring him home, which I thought was very cagey of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, all right, well, we're going to come back and answer all these questions. We have a flood of them today. So um, lots of different information coming your way. Um, these are from our Holistic Vet Advice page, which you can find on Facebook. And then the FDA conditionally approves the first oral tablet to treat canine lymphoma. And this is a huge problem that we actually see a lot in the animal hospital. So we want to tell you all about that when we come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, You'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. Um, so we're, you know, right now looking at kind of pivoting our business again. This is a year of pivots, 2020 was, and uh, it's taking on into 2021 because um, yeah. our local supplier for, you know, like horse feed, animal products, you know, large animal supplies and um 
even chicken feed and backyard poultry, bunny stuff. That's all going away. We um, have had our bus- a, a business here in town fail. Um, it's a big chain. And um, so we've decided we're going to go ahead and take that into our healthy pet lifestyle campus here. So we'll be selling horse feed. We're taking on some products that owners really like, um, mm-hmm. Diamond Pet Foods for one and Diamond Naturals. And they have a couple other lines, um, Total Equine. They have a dog food as well. This is a really great product. We've fed our horses. The dogs actually love the horse product, which is alfalfa. It's got a lot of probiotics and a lot of other stuff in there that's really awesome. But um, they do make a dog food. So we're going to start carrying that as well. But after, you know, spending all week looking at what the options are, I've really looked at what we have been selling here. And mm-hmm. beef is usually a really big seller when it comes to all of our products here, beef or red meat. Right. Red meat is classically very good for B vitamins. Um, it, it's also a more neutral food energy. So mm-hmm. most dogs can do really well on beef. Um, there's a, it's a little fattier depending on the cuts of meat that they're using. Uh, so there are some dogs that have some sensitivity to that, um, especially if they have pancreatic issues. Oh, um, to the fat in it? To the fat in it. Okay. But it's, it, you know, pancreatitis and, and the conditions like that are more rare in dogs. You mm-hmm. know, larger, smaller percentage of dogs have pancreatic issues. But far and away, it's a very neutral, very easily digested. We often think of boiled beef and rice as a being a, a easy on the stomach. Um, chicken is a little bit warmer food energy, but it's still, um, you know, a, a blend is sometimes a, can be a more neutral food energy as well. So it helps with the GI tract. I feel like owners are actually, when they go up to the treat bar here or anything like that, they're choosing beef as mm-hmm. their priority meat. Yeah, it's the good first choice because uh, dogs love it. It's, it's very easily digested and um, it comes in a variety of, of flavors. It's easy to preserve you know, it's, um, you know, the jerky things to it for flavor. Right. Yeah. I see that. But beef, um, beef was on the market and that was like your main deal, right. For Mm -hmm. pet food. And then, you know, people started, um, needing different kinds of foods. So chicken, pork became popular and then a whole slew of different kinds of proteins from kangaroo to emu to, rabbit, all kinds of things became available on the market. There were some challenges with beef for a long time that made people, you know, really scared about using it. So one of those was the presence of pentobarbital, which is a euthanasia solution, which was used um, perhaps in like the downer cows, Mm -hmm. uh, cows that, you know, just weren't going to make it. So they were humanely euthanized with euthanol, Mm -hmm. um, which is the pentobarbital. And is is that correct? Pentobarbital and euthanol are the yeah, same sodium pentobarbital. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's also going back into the '90s, mad cow disease as being a real concern, but that looks to have been remedied. Mm-hmm. So those were a couple of things that kind of turned people off of beef, and they just wanted something else, and they probably wanted something else personally as well. So it wasn't just the pet food market, but it just was weird for a little bit. Um, it looks like those things have actually come around now and all have been settled as far as, you know, the use of pentobarbital and where this cow came from and how did this get into the food supply? It was unfortunate for many pets, right? You know, so um, some pets did get uh, that in their system and did pass away. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Right. And the, you know, the, the disease population in animals is, is very similar to us. And when we get uh, outbreaks of certain diseases uh, can impact the food supply, but we have one of the, you know, FDA and, and uh, the, uh, the CDC is always monitoring these things. We mm-hmm. have, the, it's the greatest in the world. So, you know, food safety, uh, is a very minor problem in the United States. They keep the supply chain in check really, really well. So that's definitely something that I think is super helpful to people um, when you're choosing beef as an option. Digestibility and preference, uh, according to the Pet Food Industry Magazine, the digestibility and the preference by dogs and cats is actually really high when it comes to beef. Mm. I'd say so. You know, most pets really like it. And you have to, you know, the source, because a lot of the, unfortunately, the contaminants uh, or food that that actually came in the United States was imported in. And for whatever reason, I have my beefs on that. (laughs) No pun intended, but the um, if it's if it's made and raised in the United States, no worries, you know, but if you're importing meats uh, to make their way into dog foods and things like that, you have to be very, very careful. The source is so important because other countries um, don't have the level of regulations that we do in the United States. And um, so if you're made in the USA, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's the food safety is so um much, much higher here. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So uh, beef, again, a very popular product. And I think we're selling more beef than we are anything else. I think so too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of new pet foods coming into our pet store. I think it's going to become a pet superstore pretty soon. (laughs) Love it. We can always. I love love picking out foods for animals. It's so much fun. And everybody here is actually, I've talked to the staff, they're all going to get certified and Um, pet nutrition. So that'll be able to help everybody a little bit more. There's some really good certifications. If you're a vet tech or interested in uh, that kind of thing, Um, you can look it up at the NAVC, which is the North American Veterinary Conference, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, they have some certifications you could do. So eight hours and you're a nutritional consultant. (laughs) So it does help though. Education is always good. So the FDA has conditionally approved the first oral tablet to treat canine lymphoma. Um, The uh, canine lymphoma is one of the most common cancers diagnosed in dogs representing around seven to 14% of all diagnosed canine cancers. So um, we do see a lot of that here. We see a lot of people looking for solutions, maybe a visit with um, an oncologist just isn't in the cards. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, one of the things that they do. So uh, is, is come and seek out holistic medicine. This tablet looks very interesting. It looks like there could be some substantial evidence that it's actually going to work. It's called Laverdia CA1. And um, we'll see how it goes. I'm really excited about this. Um, canine lymphoma affects fewer than 70,000 dogs in the U.S. each year, but it's still really tough, um, hard to deal with as a pet owner. And I think it sounds like a great idea to try to do something to battle it. Definitely. It can be, uh, especially oral tablets, because it's much more convenient, much easier on the pet. Um, you know, this one shows a lot of promise in, in reducing the nuclear protein that some cancers like lymphoma have in blocking the growth and spread of it. And, um, you know, it does, at least for the most part, um, have a good, a higher chance of remission uh, once you get the disease under control. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of dogs can, you know, we've had uh, uh, some of our patients um, live six, seven years beyond the, with lymphoma, with the, with the prognosis. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. yeah. 
that's very cool. All right, Kathleen uh, from our Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson Page. So we've got um, quite a bit of questions today. Kathleen's going to start us off. Do you have an opinion on Wellness Core Raw Rev Grain-Free Original Recipe with Freeze-Dried Turkey Liver, Dry Cat Food? as compared to Farmina, Farmina N&D, chicken grain-free formula, dry cat food? I love them both. I mean, but Farmina um, is, is my go-to uh, because I'm most familiar with that product. And, I, you know, we feed it to our pets, so I get to see it work live. And, and I've, I've been very impressed with it because of the, the cold pressing of the food to minimize the, the amount of cooking and breakdown of the food nutrients. It's raw dehydrated kibble. Yeah. It's GMO free. Um, So it's, it's a good food. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did, it did well with our Persians. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I like to be able to test everything that comes in here and everything in here is, been tested and something we would recommend. So not just stuff that we're just buying to sell people. So um, that's why I really like the Farmina food. Um, I don't have as much experience either with the wellness core, but definitely something we could give a try to. Mm -hmm. Also, um, Kathleen says she's using Fortiflora for her kitty and her dog also as a probiotic. He won't eat it mixed in wet foods. So I mix it with some water and give it to him in a syringe. Do you have probiotic option that you like better for cats and dogs? And then we had a couple of really good comments um, from Jen and from Rachel. Jen says she uses raw goat's milk, which can be purchased at pet stores. She also uses plain Lifeway kefir. Mm-hmm. She gets that just in the regular grocery store. And um, also a powdered product called Love Bugs from the Adored Beast Apothecary. I haven't seen that product, but it sounds very interesting. So thanks for introducing us to that. And then Rachel says she used Benabac and kefir, as well as whole milk. It's kefir slash whole milk yogurt with prebiotic and probiotic. So those are a good thing to hide your probiotic in. Or you could just those use those as a standalone, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to you know give them something nutritional, especially if they're finicky about their medications and things like that. Um, the probiotics, um, you know, it's there as I mentioned earlier at the break, is that uh, the microbiome is so important. And in in my opinion, if they need it, they'll eat it. If they don't need it, they won't eat it. And um, you know, probiotic lines. Um, if you try Fortiflora, and unfortunately it. The, the pet doesn't want it. It uh, could be a palatability issue, but uh, Fortiflora's had good palatability. But I would say that maybe the bacterial flora is balanced at that point. Um, but there's more you know, natural ones uh, that can be effective as well. And uh, it's really there again, what's, what's coming out in the litter pan is most important. If everything is really consistent, and I know it's kind of you know, it's not a pleasant thing to look at, but, but it's really the telltale sign of what's going on. So uh, if everything looks good, you know, you may not need it. Okay. All right. Um, there are a lot of different probiotic strains. So that's something you should look into as well. So I was, you know, a little bit surprised by that. You think probiotic, it's all the same. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. So there are different probiotics for different issues and your pet just might need a change. Like they have probiotics and treats. They have probiotics and powder. What is Cinecor? Mm-hmm. It has some different strains of probiotics than the one we get from the bloom company. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, those also are, you know, different strains for, for different measures. Right. And you can measure it. There's a company called animal biome uh, that you can send the, the sample in to see what kind of bacteria are in there. 
you and know, what's missing and what's missing or what you should do more of to knock out some of the bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So animal biome, animal is the biome. Of the company. They always send me uh, messages, team biome, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, Team Biome, there's your shout out. And uh, I suppose this would be really good for somebody who had a pet who just had chronic problems and they just couldn't fix it. Yeah, because most part, you know, the the balancing, the the pet is healthy so they can balance their GI tract. But uh, 80% of the immune system is in the GI tract. Okay. So if you're treating disease, treat, you know, it's always been said, treat the gut first. Make sure it's healthy and happy. Uh, because it's going to be able to manage most of the other things. If you got an unhealthy gut, you're not going to have an ability to get well very well. Okay. All right. So Sam is asking a question. Her 12-year-old Staffordshire Bull Terrier is currently suffering with a yeast infection. This seemed to flare up since receiving antibiotics for a urinary tract infection. He was prescribed seven days worth for the first infection. Then a week later was given a further 14-day course as he started having blood again. Um, the same month, I stupidly changed his food to a more expensive brand and he started going and uh, having quite a bit of blood. So mm-hmm. his digestive system has been through it. He was prescribed a probiotic paste. They didn't have enough of it on hand. So he went through that in a couple of days, started him on three tablespoons of natural Greek yogurt, chose this as it contained less than half the sugar content of the fat-free. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't really think about that. And um, diluted raw unfiltered apple cider vinegar with equal parts of water to his feet and the crease along his legs where, and the photo she sent to our holistic vet advice page showed, um, you know, just this crease between the legs as being really red and kind of fiery looking. Um, she wants to know what she needs to do to help boost his immune system and beat this yeast. She's going to bathe him again and repeat. And he seems quite relaxed since she's applied the solution to his feet. And he hasn't tried to lick him as much in the past four hours. So she's guessed he's got some relief from that. Okay. Okay. A couple of great questions. You know, um, if we start with the, uh, the Staffordshire, uh, it is quite common in when an antibiotic is applied that some dogs can have a, an adverse event going uh, after the antibiotics are completed. Uh, being on a good probiotic when they are on antibiotics uh, is really important because most antibiotics are going to knock out the good flora and leave the bad flora, uh, which can be more resistant to antibacterials, uh, left over so they can colonize the gut. Um, Short-term antibiotic use is always important. Uh, We do want to follow the protocol all the way through. Uh, when it's prescribed for at least two to three days past normal clinical signs to ensure that we don't get bacterial resistance. Uh, but in this case, uh, we had a double whammy. So he admittedly said that, you know, we've added a, a different type of diet, which, you know, fired things up because you get a lot of that lower GI heat and you're going to get some blood and stuff like that in the stool. And um, so just getting things settled down again, there again, getting that microbiome back in, into balance again is most important. Um, if you do that alone, sometimes it, you do need the extra help of some anti-inflammatories to slow that down. If the pet is releasing a lot of water and electrolytes, sometimes we have to step in with more traditional medicine. 
but uh, but it can take two to four weeks to get that gut settled down, you know, and get that nice GI tract bacteria going again. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as uh, beans is concerned, sure, this is a this is a, you're still on the different animal. Yeah, so I went to. Uh, oh, you went on to beans. Yeah, I went on to Sorry. beans. Sorry. <laughs> so I said. I was trying uh, yeah. to get a. I was trying to get a clock. So okay. I could see what was going on here. Yeah, so on to beans. Um, you know, yeast. Uh, is part of the biofilm. And so mm-hmm. yeast overgrowth, when you, you mean get, like on the skin or something, right. And oh, so okay. when you get uh, an imbalance of what they call dampness uh, provides an environment in which the normal organisms, they're called commensals start to overgrow the skin in certain areas. And uh, once you control one organism, you can have the secondary disorder replace that and come up mm. secondarily and when you have a really re- common secondary disorders to a yeast infection uh, right because the and what are they well if you clean up like uh, the most of these are immune mediated so it isn't like a classic allergy you know that would have dry skin in this mm-hmm. case we've got redness we've got weepiness uh, we've got cysts forming Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of excess damp in the body mm-hmm. uh, that the beans isn't getting out. And um, so when you get that skin opening up, it, it basically it's trying to get rid of toxin mm-hmm. and it's pushing it through the skin. But these secondary organisms are always there to take advantage of that. You know, mm-hmm. so staph bacteria, strep bacteria, malassezia, even candida, which is a much stronger yeast, mm. uh, can take over and cause some problems. I think he had mal- beans had malassezia, didn't he? Right. Yeah. And so that was being cleared up. But then the, the secondary case says, well, okay, he's showing me uh, damp heat. Um, damp heat is usually coming from the mid-GI tract uh, in Chinese medicine. So uh, considering a, a product like damp heat skin, Uh, can help to rebalance that because if they're on medications and if they have a lot of imbalance with the GI tract, you know, they'll persistently have skin issues. And um, so we're always trying to find the right pattern for these pets because um, they have trouble self-regulating, especially Mm -hmm. as they get older. Um, And the the bully breeds, the shorter quarter breeds uh, like the Staffordshire and, and uh, you know, beans being a Boston Terrier is that these guys uh, seem to have more trouble with dampness. Pit bulls as well. Pit bulls as well. Yeah, yeah. we get. A, I mean, every pit bull, you're pretty much going to say at some point, you're going to have a problem with your skin. Right, and they and are. Skin is so hard. It's really hard because there's so I mean, people, many factors. I I don't know. It's like the first thing I tell people when they come in the room is like, skin is really hard, so you're going to have to have some patience. Yeah, you do because it's a uh, everything affects the skin. It's the largest organ in the body. Uh, it it has to breathe. Um, you know, it's a detox point for the liver and kidney if they can't get the toxins out. A lot of synthetic toxins can't be removed through normal channels. So the, the lymphatic system gets it and it's going to push mm-hmm. it up through the skin and uh, through those pores and come out through the oil in the skin. And that's where it, when the oil comes out on the skin, that's where you get the secondary irritation because it's the body says, that is weird. I don't like that. You know, I'm <laughs> reacting to that in some way. Is um, the fact that they're covered in, you know, hair, like an issue as well. So, I mean, people have skin problems, but it just doesn't seem ever to the point that so many dogs have them. Right. It's like putting a, a, a Band-Aid over an infection without cleaning it. You know, it's the hair is 
often, especially the longer coated dogs can get matted mm-hmm. and just bake that infection in there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the shorter coated breeds have an advantage because it's not uh, such a problem with matting, but it, you got more skin exposure there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see more of the lesions, which make, can be more alarming than if it's on a you know, golden retriever, you know, where it's the hair is covering that. Mm-hmm. But it can be significant because the longer haired dogs, you can get a much deeper infection going before you realize it. Oh, okay. You know, so the, the hair is not necessarily an advantage um, because it's once an infection occurs, it becomes a barrier. I really like um, grooming to help some of this stuff. And, you know, I was, I mean, our dogs are farm dogs. I didn't really pay that much attention to it until we got a Yorkie. Mm -hmm. And now every dog I see, I want to make sure it's like groomed, you know, like it's, it's a bigger deal to me now that I've had to do it. And I see how beneficial it is to the dog. Like their skin is better. Their hair is better. They're not greasy. Like Yorkies are kind of greasy dogs Mm -hmm. They have that greasy coat. And I don't know, it's genetic or something and probably from, you know, surviving or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, they're so cute, but they stink. And not only do they stink, then you start to understand what those smells are. Like that smell is commonly associated with yeast. Um, This one's associated with something else. And then you start to see the breakout and everything. Um, I just think that grooming is a solution that is overlooked Mm -hmm. and should be considered a lot more often. Right. Especially in the world where, you know, it's like wolves, you know, wolves wouldn't necessarily seek out a bath. Uh, but they would be the strongest survive. So you're going to get the healthiest skin. You're going to get the healthiest animal surviving. But our, our domestic world, when there's so many different breed differences, is that, you know, bathing becomes more important because there's, there's everything is going to come out through the skin eventually, mm. you know, and, you know, just seeing the ozone baths and the what's coming off of them is really like those foot detox commercials where you, you see all that, the junk in the bottom yes, of the, yeah. the, the pan, you know, and the same thing, that residue is coming out. And if we can get the skin cleaned off and allow good, healthy bacteria to form, you're going to be ahead when it does come down to a skin condition or okay. help to prevent it. Um, and then one more question. Do you have a recommendation for a wet food that's easy on the stomach for a dog? And we had some good feedback again from Rachel and also Nikki on this one. And, um, you know, just like, do you want to feed a dog wet food if it's hard on their tummy? Is it hard on their tummy? Well, it, it really depends on the ingredients because wet food is 50% water. So, uh, you know, anytime uh, they have an illness, moisture becomes important, just like for us, drinking more water to flush toxins and, and feel better. Uh, but the right ingredients, um, the things that are easier on the, the stomach, or chicken is always a go-to. Beef is always a go-to when you're talking about something that's easy on the stomach but also something that has either sweet potato or squash or, or pumpkin uh, can help absorb toxins, be easily or digi- easy, much easier digested. Um, there isn't one specific diet that mm-hmm. does that any better than the other, but pata- pay particular uh, attention to the ingredients is more important. Oh, okay. Then the fact that it's actually 
wet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Thanks everybody for your feedback on our holistic vet advice page. Um, it's on Facebook. If you'd like to join our group, that's awesome. And um, we're really pleased with um, the interaction and the help you guys give each other. So that's been something that's, that's uh, really great. And that's come out of this group great and community. we're getting a lot more people every day. So it's super fun. So um, definitely we'll see you on there. And then um We'll see you next time uh, as we kind of develop this pet store and get things going here in uh, McHenry. And if you're in Chicagoland, definitely stop by and say hi. We'd love to meet you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.